good evening. My name is Marty Plum, and I am your host of A Pen and a Napkin Podcast, your coaching clinic that you can carry around with you in your pocket. I'm really excited here. We've got a great guest for episode number 13, Coach David Deal of the defending Class A champion Miller North Mustangs out of 144th and Pacific here in Omaha. But before we get to Coach Deal, we got to go a few over a few things real quick. First of all, we want to recognize our sponsor for the for the podcast, COSAC Chiropractic, which is located at 14450 Eagle Run Drive here in Omaha. Uh, coaches, if you have an athlete who is struggling with balance, neck, or spinal issues, go have them see COSAC Chiropractic, or you can give them a call, 402-964-0300. Uh, website is Kosak Cairo. That's K O S A K C H I R O dot com. Uh, be sure that a pen and a napkin sent you. Make sure you tell Dr. Kevin or Dr. Heidi that a pen and a napkin sent you there. Um, if you haven't followed us on Twitter, please do so. Uh, a pen and a napkin. I believe, Coach Deal, you are already following us on a pen and a napkin. That is correct, right? Uh, that is affirmative, sir. Very Absolutely. good. Very good. Uh, we try to have daily coaching tidbits on a pen and a napkin, so please be sure to follow us there. Obviously, if you're listening to the podcast, you're on iTunes or you're on SoundCloud, uh, be sure to subscribe. Uh, give us a five-star review. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Tell anybody who wants to listen, uh, coaching companions, uh, that this is a really good podcast. We talk about a lot of really good things here uh, to help out other coaches. So, um if you would like to email us, please do so at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. If you have any questions, if you have any suggestions, if you have any topics that you would like for us to discuss, please do so. We can sure fit it in here, a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. But we're going to get going here with the yoga legend out of oh. Miller North High School, David Deal. David, how was Frozen 2 today? It was really good, actually. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for asking. It was um, a, a pretty good follow-up. I don't want to spell anything for your listeners, but it was good family fun. My six-year-old Annabelle wanted to see it, and my two-year-old Charlotte. This is the first movie. It's not the first movie she's seen in the theaters. The first one she saw in the theater was Toy Story 4, gotcha. but this is the first one where she knew about it for weeks in advance and kept asking about it for weeks in advance. Gotcha. And so she was pretty pumped, and she ate, I'm not kidding you, man, she ate like half the bucket of large popcorn. <laughs> on, the way, on the way out of the theater, she burped two times real loud, loud enough to have the people behind us. That, uh, that's that's probably why she was screaming after the movie, is she had a, she she ate half a field of popcorn. No, she was screaming after the movie to bug her sister, who was super <laughs> tired. She was being, she's kind of being a sociopath and having no... No regard for her sister. <laughs> you know, you can go ahead and confess it was really you that wanted to go see it, and you're just using your daughters as kind of a cover for for your desire to go see it. I've seen, dude. I've seen the uh, um, the first Frozen movie. I saw eight thousand times. <laughs> we had it. Uh, so I, I, I was I was a little eager to see how the second one wraps things up. But when we first had Annabelle six years ago. Uh, somehow we got frozen on DVR and she watched that thing. I'm telling you, I've seen that movie easily 150 times. Yeah. I, I am. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So what, what, uh, what, it was what, a good, good go time to see the movie today. Yeah. When our oldest, uh, we got our first DVD player when he was two uh -huh. and, um, 
we bought him Shrek. We each got one DVD, and we bought him Shrek. And we got it on Black Friday, and I'm not kidding you, we watched Shrek at least once a day from Black, from Black Friday to at least Valentine's Day. And and we had the whole thing memorized. My wife and I could do, you know, grab your torch and pitchforks, you know, and all that stuff. I mean, we 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 had the whole thing down. So we would we would there be multiple showings per day of of uh, of Frozen in our house. And uh, Annabelle Annabelle didn't call it Frozen. She called it Let It Go. Yep. She was saying, "Watch Let It Go. Watch Let It Go." And I, <laughs> I knew what she meant. Yeah, well, I'll never, I'll never, you know, we always, as like parents, have these all these little like flashbulb moments we'll ever forget. Yep. And when in the first movie, when Elsa sings "Let It Go," mm-hmm. um, she there's a point in the song where she like wags her finger in defiance, and that was the first mimic that Annabelle ever learned was to wag her finger in defiance. And luckily, she's a pretty good kid, so she just doesn't defy much, defy us much anymore. Yeah, but she's got that burning Elsa passion deep in her soul. <laughs> well, that's good. Well, I hope, I hope, uh, did you get four thumbs up from your two daughters? That's the most important thing. Um, they loved it. Good. Uh, it was, Annabelle took to a bathroom break halfway through and Charlotte could not stop eating all the candy, popcorn. So I think they had a really good time and they're both upstairs asleep right now, zonked out in their beds. So I think they got themselves gorged up on uh, sugar, M&M's, Junior Mints, Sprite, and uh, popcorn. And then they crashed. Oh, they're crashed. Yeah. yeah they're gone. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Parenting yeah. at its finest. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm no dumb. I had a podcast to do tonight. I had to put my kids down. <laughs> yeah. My kids into a coma. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know what? I, I hope uh, I hope the Omaha Police Department isn't listening in at this point. So, yeah, uh, <laughs> it, was, they, it was willful. The kids wanted it. <laughs> yeah, they, they had a really good time. I was excited to go see it. It's we don't, you know, it's hard to get out and do a bunch of family stuff uh, with as busy as coaching and teaching. And so, I, I, it's kind of one of the things I, I try and balance is just try and set aside time for family. You know, and I get how it goes. Yep. Um, it's a job that's so many hours a week and like one thing I'm trying to get better at is just being present. And so, um, cause I'll be somewhere wherever I'm at, my mind will be on 19 different places and 19 different things that are not where I'm currently at or currently located. Yeah. And like tonight during the movie, I left the cell phone in the car and, uh, cause I knew it would go off. I knew there'd be a text message and it was really good to just put a cell phone away. Mm-hmm. And uh, just go like, spend time with the family and try and do that like once a week. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And in fact, when I got home, I couldn't find my cell phone. I had I, I was kind of panicking if I could if I could call you or not. But <laughs> it was in the car underneath the seat, and so uh, I get to talk basketball. I get to hang time. Got hang time with the family. It was a good time. Good. Good, good to hear. Day. Good to hear. Well, we're looking forward to the conversation here this evening, and and yeah. I'm sure it'll be good stuff. So, uh, Dave, for those for those folks, we we always try to start out this way. Just uh, for mm-hmm. the folks that don't know you, uh, mm-hmm. give them a little bit of background on yourself and and kind of how you've ended up where you are at right now. Uh, I'm 38 years old. I am thrice divorced, and I live in a van down by the river, <laughs> eating government cheese. Eating government, a steady diet of government cheese. I've been. 
I've been in the basement drinking coffee for the last four hours. No, <laughs> you know, I, you you were talking about your kids eating that, and I didn't want to say anything. But since uh, we're on pop culture references, you you were talking about your kids eating the the candy and all that other stuff. I got I got I visualize your kids like uh, the Seinfeld episode where they end up bootlegging the video, and, oh and, and the guy brings all the candy into the into the theater, and then he gets the stomach ache, and Jerry gets all involved in it stuff. So if if, if you have to do bootlegging uh, to supplement your teacher and coaching uh, stipend and stuff, uh, I know where it all started was today. So It was Kramer got paid to bootleg, right? It started with Kramer, and then Jerry had to take over, I think. Oh, yeah. that's right. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Um, whenever I teach history class and uh, the name Milan or Minsk comes up, I always yell out, Rochelle, Rochelle. <laughs> <laughs> From Milan to Minsk, and none of the kids know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, my wife tells me my my pop culture references have gone a bit stale because I'll you know like whenever we're grading a paper and we get mm -hmm. to, we get to number two I'll be like number two you know number two number two uh, you know um, and the kids are like why do you say it's stupid I'm like okay see, fine whatever but that's why that's what YouTube is good for yeah like for example last week when I talked about Andrew Jackson and. I talked about his vice president, Martin Van Buren, and the, Mar and the Van Buren and the Van boys. Buren boys. Yep. Yeah. I yep. Could, and I put up my eight fingers. Yep. I, kids are like, what are you talking about? I could go right to YouTube and be like, well, here's the clip. Yes, I have actually had to do that, teaching history, talking about the Van Buren boys. Yes. <laughs> so you've done the same thing? Yes. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Nice. There, there, there is a lot of, of history teaching being done in West Omaha, both in the public and private sector. I could tell that right now. So Using, using Seinfeld, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So, Well, we better talk about some basketball at some point here. Or we're going to lose everybody, Dave. So. Oh, yeah. I probably should not do SNL quotes about Chris Farley. Yes. Uh, so I grew up in Omaha, uh, born and raised in Omaha. I went to Miller North High School, and I graduated in 1999. Mm -hmm. um, I played. I played there for two years, uh, my freshman and sophomore years, and then the coaches wised up and offered me an opportunity to uh, impact the team from a different venue, like the stands. <laughs> they're like, "Hey, Dave, we really feel your role on this team could be best utilized in the support mode." <laughs> yeah. And I was like, that, "That's really good." Yeah. Um, I when I played basketball growing up, I was five foot eleven in like seventh grade uh -huh. and so also 120 pounds so i had all the i had all the skills of a post i got to high school and 511 that you were a guard yeah and so i had no guard skills and i played some basketball my freshman and sophomore year i was asked to support the team in a different role my junior year um kept playing through college just a, you know playing at the rec center uh i always enjoyed at the rec center in lincoln when the women's team would come play and just destroy dudes. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and thinking about it now, Marty, in all honesty, um, kind of an epiphany for me, right? Like right now, this moment I'm sitting here, like I think that's really where my respect for women's basketball, like really began because, yeah. you know, I think in high school, like the, I think the WNBA was on at that time. Yeah. yeah. That, that ABL was also on that competitive league. Yep. And TV doesn't do it justice. But then I'm this like 19 year old, 20 year old, cocky, arrogant college kid. And I remember playing against Nicole Kubik in uh, college, who's now at Lincoln Southwest as an assistant coach. 
and her and um oh the gal from Garing who refs what's her name oh Brooke Schwartz yeah Brooke Schwartz oh would just torch us yeah and like I wasn't awful at basketball I was um but they would just torch dudes and they get out there and just run the court for a while mm-hmm. and, and like wow uh so that like my respect for uh, that's my first exposure to women's basketball like dude these these chicks are for real like they get they got game yeah and so then I I Started teaching at Miller North when I was 23. Coach Ritz gave me my first job at age 24, coaching the sophomore team. Mm-hmm. And I just moved up from there. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I'd be lying to you if I said that my goal from age 14 on was to be a basketball coach, uh, a head coach, a head girls coach. Uh, I just wanted to coach. When I was 24, I had no family, no kids, and plenty of time and pl- uh, plenty of desire to help any program that wanted it so i coached softball i coached baseball and then ritzy gave me that job as a sophomore head coach and i parlayed that into a jv job and i parlayed that into a, a varsity assistant job and soon the fire was lit and i wanted to be a head coach and mm-hmm. uh consider myself very lucky uh, it's weird where it's weird the, the the path that life takes us yeah know? yeah it's i mean same thing you know the last thing i thought I would ever be doing was coaching uh, women slash girls basketball. And that's, yeah. that's what I did for 23 or 24 years, you know? So, yeah. so it's, it's interesting. Yeah. Um, so you were in a, in a tough situation, uh, kind of a difficult situation where yeah. you, you described your kind of career track and, and you kept taking a step, taking a step, taking a step and then you got into a situation where there was some internal stuff that that happened there and you kind of uh you had a unique you you were like a a professional coach that was taking over in the middle of the season where uh the the head coach was was asked to step away for 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 some reasons and we're not going to get into that you know that's not what this is about the the question is you know how uh, how did you handle that? Because you, you know, most times when you take over, you've got months to kind of figure out what you're going to first, what your first practice is going to be, how that's going to be handled. You yeah. literally woke up one day and yeah. said, "Okay, I, I guess I'm in charge, and we've got practice or a game uh, that night." You know, so yeah. um, you know how did how did you how did you how did you handle that? How did you how did you attack that? It's pretty stressful. I didn't eat. I'm not lying. I didn't eat for a couple of days. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of my go-to stress reliever is not eating. Um, a couple of years ago, I, I lost like 15 pounds during a season. Uh, that was 10 pounds. Um, that, that go around, that was, that was, that was an interesting time and, and kind of being thrown into the fire. You know, it was an unfortunate situation where the head coach resigned and there were four games left in the season. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's, it, someone had, someone had to, um, someone had to kind of take the ship into Harbor, mm-hmm. um, after the captain, uh, was no longer around, and um, I'm just thankful for all the co- every coach I've ever worked with. I've learned a lot from, and that's every coach, every sport. I'm not whether it's whether that's the baseball coach, the varsity baseball coach that helped me get by when I was a freshman freshman assistant. Whether that's um, the softball coaches I've worked for. Um, I've always been a sponge, I think, mm-hmm. and. Um, I've always tried to learn from every coach in front of me. And when that had happened, 
that was five years ago. I've been coaching for, for nine years in yeah. many different venues. So, um, I was, I was, I love the word, I don't know if you're ever ready. I don't know if you're ever like, I, I got this, but like, I was confident. I, I, I was confident and, you know, shoot, uh, the only option for me was to be ready. Yeah. And, and so, um, like I said, I've worked with a lot of great coaches, brilliant coaches, um, intense coaches, smart coaches, and I just have, they all rubbed off on me in one way or the other. Mm-hmm. And I'm a better coach because of all the people I work for. So when that happened, I just kind of relied on the foundation and knowledge base of every coach I've ever worked with. And then talking to the team, and there were a number of kids that were upset with, with what had happened, and a couple of kids chose to, to part and move away. And a couple of kids, uh, a number of shows to stay. And, and I just kind of said like, Hey, listen, uh, this ship is moving forward. Like time's not going to stand still for us. So, um, we got no other option but to go fight, like giving up's not an option. Yeah. So when I, it, was, it was the last four games of that season. And I went two and the team went two and two and, uh, ended up in a district at South Sioux city. Uh, and that was an experience. Yeah. Uh, yeah. My, I've had a few experiences uh, up there. Yeah. Holy cow. Uh, man, my fourth game ever as a head coach is a district, a district final at the Cardinal Dome. Yeah. Uh, holy buckets. And, uh, shoot, we got down big. Mm-hmm. We got, I swear we were down like 20 in the second quarter. Yeah. And, um, but do it some studs in that group. Um, Gabby Grasso, Livy Grasso, Taryn Benham was a sophomore. And in the fourth quarter, Taryn Benham hits three three pointers. This is a girl that's playing goalie at Northern Arizona right now. And in her life, probably hit five three pointers. <laughs> and she hit, because she only took nine shots in her whole career. God, she was awesome. Love this kid. Um, hit three three pointers in the fourth quarter got us to within two and we're within two with the ball and Gabby Grosso gets hammered on a layup and they don't call it. And, uh, South Sioux ices some free throws down the stretch, but that'd have been pretty sweet. That was a, that was a good environment. But like I said, um, that whole deal was just, Hey, listen, um, you know, this ship, I, I told you like, Hey, this ship's moving forward. And, and, and if you want to get off, I respect that. You know, we had some turmoil, and uh, some things went down, and some people wanted to leave. And I said, yeah, I respect that too. If, you, if you're if you're not down with me being the captain of the ship, being the coach, then you're free to go. No hard feelings. And the ones that stay, um, you know, I, I, I really appreciate playing their tails off. And um, it was kind of like being thrown into the fire, and yeah. they'll prepare you for more. Yeah. Um. So you you uh, you went into last year. Yeah. And it was kind of an opposite situation where you guys you guys had made it to the state tournament the year before and you lost in the first round. Did you lose to Papio that year in the first yeah. round? Um, lost, lost to Lincoln Southwest. I Southwest. thought it was a bold strategy. I wanted to give them the first 13 points of the game. Just, and, to, just to make it more interesting for everybody? You know, like, let's, give, let's go give Coach, let's give the Silverhawks the first 13 points of the game. Yeah. And, uh... Yeah, and yeah, so we lost to the Southwest that day. It was the Southwest, um, okay. It was a very valuable learning experience for us, though. What'd you learn? Learned what it, you know, learned what it was like under the bright lights. Um, mm-hmm. 
And I mean that literally and figuratively, uh, being on stage, um, you know, then like, like the lights literally are super bright down at the Temple Bank Arena. And just that physical space is like, oh, it's a little different. It's a little yeah. intimidating. Yeah. It's a bigger arena. Um, and, you know, we learned that winning is hard. It's really hard. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, like it totally set us up for that state title run the next year. Uh, the kids that I'm telling you, man, the seniors in each grade, you know, so that time, that first time to trip our seniors that year, Sam Hutchinson, Kennedy McCreary, I take a bullet for those kids. And those kids were awesome leaders that helped establish a culture and continue the culture. And the juniors on that team, Lexi, Jaina, Lauren, they became seniors last year. They just took that culture to a next level. Um, you know, they, they, that loss taught us what disappointment felt like. Uh-huh. And it taught us that we had bigger fish to fry. I, I mean, kind of deep down, I think that team just wanted to get to state. And they're like, yeah, all right, let's get to state and let's see what happens. And if we lose, like, I, I think they kind of felt like when they got to state, they were playing with house money. Does that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yep. And um, then they're like, well, shoot, I just don't want to be at the casino. I want to take, I want to take the bank. Yeah. Um, I want to go Danny ocean mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, Rob Terry Benedict and win the whole thing. Yeah. And, uh, so it taught us that. And then those three juniors came back as seniors that next year. And we had a hell of a group last year, um, that was just locked in. And the thing I'm super pumped about is, you know, from day one, uh, the culture has been fantastic. And I, I think that carries down from generation. I can go all the way back to Libby Grasso, Taryn Benham, Gabby Grasso, um, so thankful for those kids. What other seniors am I, am I missing? Kirsten Douglas, um, Caitlin Burton, just had some awesome seniors that first year. And it just picked up and picked up and picked up. Mm-hmm. Um, and then last year, kids were really dialed in. Yeah. And the, this year's kids are, are the same way. Yeah. So, Did you, I mean, you had, you know, one of the, the most complete starting fives uh, that I've seen in a while, uh, last yeah. year. And, uh, and you were, you were pretty consensus, you know, if they stay healthy, they're going to be really hard to beat down at the state tournament. Um, but you know, how did you, how did you, uh, did you change anything going from, you know, happy to be there to, and, and being the, the hunter to and then being the hunted going into last did, year? Did I change anything? No, I mean, not really. Um, did it feel different? Yeah, great question. Um, yeah, you know, the, the expo, it did feel different. I guess the, what felt different was our focus. Um, and the imp- uh, the effect, you know, in history, we teach cause and effect, you know. Yep. Um, the Our focus was, last year, was no longer, hey, let's just get there. Getting there was never the. I mean, it was a goal, but I mean, we knew we had the talent to win it, and we knew there was a whole bunch of other extremely good teams yes. that had the talent to win it. Um, and like, and, and yeah, from the outside, and you and you talk and like, hey, and, and I know you like from the outside, you're like, hey, they had a, they had a hell of a starting five. Yeah. So did Tavio. 
Yep. So did Millard South. Yep. So did Lincoln Southwest. God, so did Pius. Yep. I mean, um, you know, shoot, it's so hard to win. And, and I, I just, and I, to your, to your listeners that are coaches, like they get that. They're like, dude, winning is hard. Yeah. Um, to outsiders who get to sit in the stands, I'm like, oh, well, Millard South, you know, Millard South, number two, Millard North, number one, like, well, it should be an easy victory for Millard, you know, like winning is hard yeah. and it's hard day in and day out. So kind of getting back a long answer to your question. The one thing that changed was our focus and what we would accept as our top achievement, like what our ceiling was. And we knew our ceiling was we could win the whole thing. So then what changed, and this was from the kids, was their focus, like mm-hmm. day in and day out. Their focus was insane. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to give a lot of credit to the kids. Um, like we lost four games last year. And I've told the kids this. And I say the most remarkable thing about our entire season about the entire grind, about the endurance, was not one time did a kid blame, did a kid pout, did a kid point fingers. When we lost, when it was easiest to blame and point fingers, they all came to work and I said, like, let's go. Mm-hmm. Let's fix it. That game that we lost wasn't acceptable, and let's fix it. They were so locked in. It was, it's, it's, and and uh, it was amazing to see them do that. And that's all on them. It was yep. awesome. Yep. So you had one of the the greatest, you know, Dave, I've been doing this a long time. I don't know how many games I've seen in person. <laughs> yeah. Well over a thousand. And, yeah. and, and, and and probably closer to fifteen hundred. And I know I'm a ways away from some of our listeners as to how many games they've seen. But I've I've seen a lot of live basketball. Mm-hmm. And and in my career, uh either as a spectator or as a coach uh, the the your semifinal game was uh, easily in the top five, if not the top two or three, maybe even the best game I've ever seen. And I was fortunate enough to be calling it on the radio that oh, night. Yeah. Uh, for for the folks that don't know, uh, triple overtime, the first ever triple overtime in the history of Nebraska girls state tournament, high school state <laughs> tournament. Um, and not only did it go triple overtime, but it was one of the craziest games um, that has ever occurred. And and I went back and I and I researched all of this. Um, we get to the second overtime, and I mean, you guys were down in the first overtime, and yep. and and Danley hit a couple of big threes along the way, mm-hmm. and uh, playing against Lincoln Pius, who was an outstanding team as well. Um, so we get down, uh, it's tied, uh, Pius has the ball and, um, they're, they're all state center, uh, Markowski gets fouled and she makes two free throws with seven and a half seconds left to put them up two. Yeah. They ran a, uh, they, I think they ran a double screen. Yep. They're a double ball. They're on a double ball screen, and she was the first of the two screens, and she slipped off. She rolled off of her screen as she should, yep. and ran. It a, God, it was a great play. Yeah, it excellently, and we, we we fouled the heck out of her, like yep. because we had to. Yep. She made two free throws, didn't she? Yeah, she made two free throws with seven point six seconds left, and you're. You're one of your Division One kids, uh, Nicole Avila Ambrosi. I hope I said that right. She okay. drives uh, 
gets gets to the rim pretty quick, puts it up, misses. You've got a gal, Kaylee Kessler, gets the rebound on the weak side, puts it up, gets fouled, and it's a and one with point two seconds left. And this is a kid that only had like twenty five points all season coming into the state tournament, and she ended up with like eight or ten points that game. She makes the free throw, and Lauren West, who's another one of your Division One players, she had fouled out, and there was a delay because they were trying to figure out how much time they should be on the clock, and they put back .2 seconds. So there was this delay, so everybody had a bunch of time to think about stuff. Kessler steps up. She hits the free throw to put you up one with .2 seconds left. Game's over. Lauren West goes out runs off the bench and hugs the gal who hits the free throw. Uh-huh. She gets called for the technical foul. Uh-huh. There's a huge delay. Yep. The girl from Pius goes down, misses the first, makes yeah. the second. We yeah. go on to the third overtime. Uh, Lexi Craft and Jada Green hit some free throws and you end up pulling away. Yeah. Um, you know, again, one, I mean, if, 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 this is Division One college basketball. Oh. This is this is on ESPN Classic. It is it is seen. I mean, this is debated on Sports Center. Uh, just talk about uh, not only going through a triple overtime game yeah. in 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 the state semifinal, but how that whole story played out. I mean, you could you could play another five thousand basketball games, and it wouldn't have that same storyline, uh, especially in that second overtime. I mean, what was that like going through that situation? Um, you know, and upon reflection, I just so I mean, I'm so so thrilled for the kids, and they their composure was outstanding, and, and that's kind of that that um, like we'll talk about later performing instead of panicking and we kind of talked about that all year uh, i'm just so proud of the kids in class time they knew what to do and um i mean my thoughts are going to be so scattered on this because i have that just such a scatterbrain uh mentality you know i mean that third overtime shoot we got down three at the start of the third overtime that's right you know yeah they they bang a three to go up three um but here's I had a lot of thoughts on that game, but here's, I think, where it starts, you know, besides so many kids playing so many minutes and gutting it out, but just the toughness and the heart um, and the luck and, like, straight-up luck, you know, shoot. Here's what I remember is once the pious girl, Jaden Greason, who was a heck of a player and an outstanding kid, once she missed the first one, um, we knew we had at least had some life. Yeah. And... Um, have a chance, a stay of execution, so to speak. Yeah. And she makes the second one. We go back and, and we huddle up. And I've always told the teams that the best teams are led by players, not coaches. Yep. And I'll never forget Lexi Kraft just kind of clapping her hands and being like, it's okay, we got this one. We'll get them in the third overtime. And she said something along, along, along the lines of, it doesn't matter how many overtimes they, we play, we're going to get this. And the best part about that was she wasn't saying it like she was trying to convince herself, you yeah. know, she, she wasn't it. saying it like, like, Oh, uh, you know, some people do that. Like they try and stay positive and try and talk themselves into a mindset. She was speaking truth. She was speaking game. Uh-huh. Um, and 
the next time I'm like, hey, guys, we got this. We're going to hang together. Our game plan hasn't changed. Like, we didn't change anything up in the third overtime that we didn't do in the second overtime. Um, and it was just the kids gotten through it. Mm-hmm. Again, the, 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 margin, the, the, the margin between victory and defeat is razor thin. Yeah. Razor thin. And so I think the number one thing that I think any coach listening to this needs to consider, especially a young coach, is how do you train your kids so that razor thin margin is always on your side? And, and, and who I go to and look after that is John Cook at Nebraska. And I know this is getting off topic, Marty, but no, kind of no, there's no such thing as off topic on this podcast, David. It's, it's where my brain takes me. Yep. And so go look at like John Cook's track record, and how many games he wins, how many matches and national titles and stuff. But like in their biggest, biggest matches against Wisconsin or Minnesota or wherever, or Penn State, you know, they're winning. They're they're not blowing the top teams out by nine points a game. Every match, every match game is like 25, 22, 25, 23, 26, 24. And when it's razor thin like that, a statistician or mathematician or uh, would tell you that, like, well, hey, it should be 50-50. Well, why do John Cook's teams always seem to win 75 to 80% of those super tight games which end up winning super tight matches? It's because he prepares them for it. And how do you do that in practice? How do you prep and practice mentally and physically and emotionally and spiritually for, like, hey – when it comes down to it, the other team's going to panic, and we're not. It takes a special kid. It takes a special character. It takes toughness. And a whole lot of things come together and got to come together to do that. And, um, you know, I think a lot of the work we put in the year paid off then. Um, a lot of, you know, you, you get lucky. You know, luck matters, dude. Mm-hmm. Luck helps. Um, but preparation also helps. So we kind of prepared to be in that moment. And I go back to the year before when the bright lights of the state tournament did get to us. Well, by the time we got there the next year and we're in the biggest game, a craziest game, like it was weird. Like the environment, it was like it could have been in a regular gym. Like we, it was just like, all right, let's go play. Um, so we didn't like it, the pressure wasn't like oh god this is PBA this is the semifinals it's just like well what we're gonna do to win this possession this game this moment um, and then yeah luck and preparation and our kids leadership kind of won out it was crazy yeah. it's a nuts game and I went and watched it on huddle for some reason like three months ago it's like I want to see that in third overtime I guess yeah it was crazy and like don't forget like Kaylee Kessler yeah. Kaylee Kessler, who makes the game-winning basket in uh, second overtime, um, had scored like 25 points. She like she had missed all the season with she had pneumonia to start with, a pulled hamstring, a groin, a concussion, and she's a heck of a ball player, man. Mm-hmm. And she was so emotional. She was crying. Yeah. She was crying as she made the free throw. You know. Yeah. It was amazing. Can you? How much of that, you were talking about the toughness and, and you know, like what Lexi did and, and those yeah. type of things. How much of that can be taught and how much of that is just either a kid's got it or they don't? Uh, I, I think, man, I think parents will tell you and I think coaches will tell you 
I mean, it, tigers don't often change their stripes, dude. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, you can you can drill it, and, and it's important for coaches to drill it, drill it, drill it, teach it, teach it, teach it, teach it. But um, you know, I always said my dad always told me tigers don't change their stripes too much, man. And so, as coaches, we do what we need to do. But at the end of the day, I kind of think mental toughness is something you can improve on a little bit but at the end of the day it's something i think you either have or you don't yeah and um that it's and that's the mental toughness part of the game and you know this and i think all your veteran coaches listening know this but your younger ones may not the biggest difference you know as you go up from freshman year to senior year as you go up in levels isn't just the physical it's the mental absolutely it's it's in the moment like you know on this given play like how mentally aware are you because you can't take any moments off if you want to be good you know you're playing in a freshman game you know everyone takes most of the 32 minutes off but you know shoot in a varsity game get to a college game you can take zero seconds off. We hammer that every single day of practice. Don't be a spectator. Don't be watching. What are you doing? Heck, I just printed out a sheet to put in the locker room, and it was the, the title of my sheet was "Why is defense so hard?" And I listed eleven things that elite defenders have to be doing every second of defense. You know. And that's mental. Like, in other words, the, the, the list of things good defenders have to be aware of at all times is insane. So that mental toughness, that mental acuity, um, it's hard to teach. You can improve upon it. But um, I think I, I think it's really hard, really hard to turn um, a, a mentally weak kid into a mentally tough kid. Yeah. You can try and you can improve it. But like, um, yeah, we, we, we all coach mentally tough, just badasses. They're kind of born that way. Yeah. So speaking of mental toughness, yeah, you know, you, cause your, your journey last year was just so fascinating to me, you know, mm-hmm. and you, you win this all time classic. Yeah. And then for those people that are unfamiliar with Nebraska, uh, it's three games in three days and yep. you have. And you're playing the late game. Um, you know, I we got out of the gym like at midnight or yeah. something crazy like that. And you've got to turn around and you've got a state title game 16 hours later. Some crazy number like that. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, how, 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 did, how did you approach that? I don't dude, I remember like, uh, I felt like I've been to Vegas a couple times. And you know how casinos have no windows? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you, you don't know what time it is? Yeah. That semifinal game, I think, tipped off at nine. Yeah. Um, and it just went on and on and on. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> they interviewed, like, some TV crew interviewed me at, at half court after the game. Um, and by the way, I want to hop in here. Like, all credit to Lincoln Pius and their coach, Coach Soda, who's the oh, first yeah. coach. Oh, yeah. What, dude, what a great program they run. I mean, talk to anybody in the state of Nebraska and, and, if you tell them, like, hey, you're going to play Lincoln Pius, they're like, oh, God, mm-hmm. that's going to be a grinder. Like, Pius is awesome. So all credit to them, man. Yeah. They're so much fun to watch and, and not fun to play. But, um, yeah, so that's a grinder of a game. 
And the dude at half t- at interview at half court after the game, he approaches me and he goes, "Hey, can we talk?" And I go, "Hey, by the way, I go, hey, dude, what time is it?" I had no idea. He could have told me two in the morning, and I've been like, "Yep, I bet it is." He's like, yeah, "It's eleven fifteen right now." And Stu Pospisil's like, I need you right now. Like, I have a deadline in 10 minutes, and I want to go hug my wife and kids for staying late. Be like, I need to talk to you right now. It was, it was, it was hectic. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, got, got on the bus, got home, and uh, the parents are outside, and they're saying, like, hey, um, you need to get home and go to sleep. And all of our kids are telling their moms and dads, like, no, I need to go to the school and do an ice bath. And it was crazy. So we get on the bus. I swear to I swear to heavens, dude, we're on the bus at eleven forty five. We don't get back to Millard North till one AM and then all the kids went and did treatment and ice baths and like um re- and uh took care of their bodies at one, left there at one thirty. The next day's a Saturday. And to be quite honest, like like the game tipped off at I think six, I think it was. Yeah. So we didn't meet back up at Miller North till two p.m. Yeah. So they got they got home at two a.m. and they slept till ten thirty eleven. Yeah. Which is like that's eight hours. Yeah. I think. Yeah. And so and they were dude pretty locked in. So at that point, their focus and their adrenaline kicks in. They had eaten and. Um, everyone kept telling me like, "How are they going to have legs? How are they going to have legs?" And I kind of think like. Ah, they're going to go sleep for like eight and a half, ten, like nine hours. I think they're going to be fine. Yeah. So, um, I didn't think it was going to be that big, as, as big of a deal as other people thought it was. And are because of the adrenaline and the focus the kids had. Yeah. They kind of got to that point where it's like, all right, yeah. we're, it's, this is, we're going to take this, you know, and, and we're just going to walk in and we've come this far. There's no way in the world that we're not going to walk out of here without the, without the, nets around our neck you know yeah, and, and in fact um you talked to ellie i was talking to ellie danley not too long ago i think where, where were we at we were on, uh maybe at a burger king on a summer road trip you know like one of those summer camps and she was kind of reflecting upon that lincoln southwest game we got up i think 16 and a half time because of a, something like that and then lincoln southwest started creeping in creeping back just because they're really good yeah and we call a timeout and kind of calm the kids down and because we don't want they don't need to panic and we break the huddle down mustangs get out of here go play defense and ellie remembers i think someone called the team together on the court the, the, the five on the court were out on the court and they huddle up they're like girls we're not letting them back in this game like and they had their own little meeting and their own little huddle and just like looking each other in the eye, being like, "I'm locking this down." If you're locking this down, they're like, "Yep, we're all locking this down." And I go back to just being very lucky. You know, uh, we're lucky that Pius missed a free throw, and I'm lucky that I had such awesome kids that were so focused. They're like, "We're locking this down, and we're not. We're not going to get beat." Um, that's that mental spirit that is so important that can charge your body up and charge your mind up and, and push you to that finish line. You know, you mentioned yoga a long, long, long time ago. I'm a big believer in that stuff, man. Yeah. And uh, our kids, yeah, shoot, we did yoga as a team like twice. And I'm not sure like yoga was on their mind at that moment, but that's that mind, that body, that spirit that, that's pretty, pretty important. Yeah. Well, it was a great journey and yeah. you deserved it. And, and I'm really happy for you. 
I was glad the kids let me go on that journey with them. Yeah. And that's, and that's truly the most enjoyable seasons, whether you win a state championship, you know, and, and I've had seasons and I'm sure, you know, David, you've been there too at, you know, um, in a various sports you've, you've coached for mm-hmm. a lot of different things. Uh, you can have, I've had seasons where I've won two thirds of my games mm-hmm. and it was awesome. And I've yep. had seasons where I've won three fourths of my games and it was not a lot of fun, you know? Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and to, to have the best of both worlds where you, you're winning, you know, 25 games in a state championship and also having a, a great group of kids to share the journey with, um, yeah. that's, that's the Nirvana that we're all looking for, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I told another kid the other day at practice, I said, I, I pulled, I pulled her aside. I'm like, Hey, um, I don't do this for the trophies. The trophies are cool. Um, I don't do this for the awards. You know, I don't do this for the wins are cool, but like, um, my seniors this year, like will stop in my room and say hi and just chat and like, be like, what's going on? And ask, like, they ask about my kids and I'm like, that's the coolest part. Yeah. Um, the winnings icing on the cake and, um, you know, I, I just consider myself lucky to have learned from so many great coaches before me. Um, and, uh, to have such great kids, you know, coming yeah. to the North and just hope, you know, um, I've learned so much over the years that I know what I'm a well aware of what championship basketball looks like and what it takes and the effort and the grind and i really enjoy the thrill of teaching to the next generation the next class the next group and um kind of hold them accountable to that culture to that standard and you know um who knows what the future holds you know like uh just i know i know what the standard is and who knows what the next set of challenges is going to be for me as a coach and and miller north as a program and I just know that I'm going to keep grinding and be like, hey, here's the standard. Here's how we reach it. And I trust you kids and I hope you guys trust me to get there. Yeah. Well, that leads us to our Don Meyer quote of the day. Uh, yeah. Approximately halfway through our pod each week, we, we throw out our, our Don Meyer quote of the day. And Dave, I think this is uh, something that you would agree with here. Uh, the Don Meyer quote of the day is... If you have to try hard to try hard, you're all, you're already beat. Yeah, you know, um, this day and age, there's a phrase that high school kids use, and like you should totally ask them about it. They label certain kids tryhards. Oh yeah, and, yes. Oh, um, I my my they, kids my kids say it all the time. Yep, my yeah. my, my biological children. Yep. Right, and um, I had the first time I heard it was a former student popped back last spring into my classroom. He's over at UNK. And we, I was trying to tell my current kids, like, hey, look, this is Trevor. He's in college. Hey, Trevor, tell him how hard college is. And he says, like, yeah, I study this many hours. I have this many papers. And, and he's just like, kid, kids' eyes are, are blowing up. Like, oh, God, college must be really hard. And then Trevor goes, well, don't worry. You don't have to do that. I do it because I'm a tryhard. And, like, I was like, dude, why did you just try and like soften the blow of that? Like, why did you just like self shame yourself and label yourself a try hard? You mean yeah. like, why are we why are we apologizing for trying hard? Yeah, you know, and 
if, yeah, if you have to try hard to try hard, you're 10 steps behind somebody else. But here's what I've learned though, Marty. And I think this is something that I, I swear, I swear by this. Um, this is kind of me finding some Zen or some balance. Mm-hmm. I no longer go home and lose sleep at night over kids that I have to beg to play hard because I kind of had an epiphany and I realized like, I wish they all could be like Polly Hilde or all like Lauren West or Lexi Craft or Jane, you know, Jaina Green or all my kids. I wish they could all be like that, you know, but if everybody could give special effort, it would no longer be special. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. That it, it's special because it's hard to do. Yeah. And it weeds out. It thins out. If everybody could do it, if everybody could do it, it would be easy. Yep. You know? Yeah. And so that's what makes it a little more um, sweet. Yep. Well, we're going to talk a little bit here about your philosophy, your X's and O's philosophy here. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, You want to go offense or defense first, David? Uh, let's do offense. Okay. So – one of the things you wanted to talk about was, you know, kind of your statistical analysis and how you look at the game. Uh, mm-hmm. I thought it was a, a very, I thought it was a cool phrase, uh, threes and freeze. Uh, yeah. what, do you, what are you talking about with that? How do you implement it? You know, um, what are some things that you do to, to what, what does that, I, I think it's pretty obvious what it means, but right. explain to our listeners, you know, your philosophy when it comes to that stuff. Um, I want high percentage shots from high percentage players. Um, if listen, if basketball, basketball's is not rocket science. Cause if it was, I couldn't coach it, but like I, in our locker room, I put up my offensive rules and offensive philosophies. And rule one is we want high percentage shots from high percentage players. And in this day and age, I love that. By the way, that's good stuff. It, yeah, it's. I mean, let's not make it harder than it has to be. Get high percentage shots from high percentage players. And in this day and age of statistical analysis and efficiency, um, you can't just. You got to look at like probabilities and risk and reward. Um, I think the three point line is twenty one, nineteen, something nineteen nine, nineteen nine at high school, nineteen nine. Well. Don't shoot a 19 foot eight inch two pointer that has this risky with low reward. Let's shoot that. Let's go one inch farther back and shoot that three. And uh, you know Creighton plays that way. The Warriors played that way. Um, the Spurs. If you go the Spurs for a while, the years of Manu Ginobili, mm-hmm. uh, Duncan. Um, it was layups, threes, and uh, free throws. Yeah. Get fouled. So, like, don't shoot a baseline 12-footer. Yeah. I mean, it, I mean if, if it's there, I guess, but you better make it. Well, for, um, those, for those guys, you know, sometimes they have to take that shot at the end of the shot clock just to get a shot up, you know, and that type of thing. But obviously we don't have that. Right. So, like, let, let's, work, let's work the ball to get the best shot we want. And, w- girls, if we don't panic and we dictate the pace, there's no shot clock. I mean, think about this. Like, we could literally get, if we worked hard enough and smart enough, we could get every shot we want if we're just smart enough and know what's the shot we want. So the shot we don't want is 
with like a panic and just some bailout three. Like we could literally pass the ball for eight minutes. Mm-hmm. No one wants to watch. That. No one wants to watch that. But no, no. But like let's let's let's. I can think of a couple right. people that would like to watch that. But anyway, yeah, yep. yeah. Um, let's get high percentage shots from high percentage players, and let's find out through the course of the season who that is. Who's my best three point shooter from what spot? How do we get them the ball? Um, and my next rule on offense, and again, it's pretty basic, is, um, and this is a, a new coaches out there or whatever, young coaches, get to a five-on-four as soon as you can, as soon as you can. Um, I don't care how you get to a five versus four, but get some defender out of the play. In the past, we could spread them out with our speed and our dribble drive and get to a five-on-four. And then after that point, it's just it's just um, hot potato to get a good shot, mm-hmm. you know. Um, to prove this point, and I'm getting off topic here, but have you followed Draymond Green's season at all? Uh, somewhat. You know, I know uh, he got hurt and he had to sit out a couple of weeks, uh, yeah. or he had to sit out some time. He hurt a, his hand or his wrist or something. Um, but yeah, yeah. He's- He's been awful this year, and I forget the stat that I saw, but some NBA metric has him ranked as one of the worst players efficiency-wise in the NBA right now, mm-hmm. and here's why. is because now with Kevin Durant gone, Clay Thompson hurt, Seth, Steph Curry hurt, the Warriors are no longer playing five versus four or sometimes five versus three. And where Draymond got really good was, you know, he... Playing four versus three, yeah. Yeah, playing four versus three. And he'd always set the pick for Steph Curry. He'd roll. Curry would hit the roll, help it come over from the rim, and Draymond knew how to lob it up to Kevin Durant. Yeah. Or... He's a great defender and all that good stuff. Great job. Good motor dude, obviously. But, like, now that he's not playing five-on-four, he's a pretty average dude. So our goal on offense, let's get to a five-on-four with a ball pick, with an away pick. Um, Let's get a post up and get a double team going. If if you're going to play five-on-five, you better have a great post. You better have a great – Patrick Ewing. um, You know, I feel we had a good one in Kaylee Kessler this year. if you're going to play Kaylee Kessler one on one in the post, um, you know, bring bring your gospel and some prayers. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I think um, those are my two rules: high percentage players, high percentage players, and high percentage shots. Um, and get to a five on four as soon as you can. How do you break that? How do you drill that in practice to to create that advantage disadvantage uh, situation for you offensively? Reps, reps, reps. My big thing of practice is uh, I hate seeing people stand. Um, I hate, um, and this is where you got to have great trust with your assistant coaches and great delegation skills. Um, we're gonna play. We're gonna play five on five on five, five on zero. Oh. We're gonna drill it, drill it, drill it. We'll do five on zero oh just to like rehearse the same way that it's a drama producer like a, a theater producer would produce a play they'll walk through their roles and their lines but we'll walk through our cuts and we'll walk through 
our actions. I like to say we don't run plays. We run actions like a pick and roll or a pick roll replace or a pick the picker. So we'll rehearse those. Mm-hmm. And then we'll pick five on five. And when the shot goes in, get the ball back to the top and we're going again. And like we're getting – we're not going to sit and chat for a minute and a half after every made basket and be like, well, this was good and that was great. I kind of tell my coaches, and, I, and they're really good at this, Hey, if, if Sarah made a mistake, hey, yank her out, put Heather in, and tell Sarah what she did wrong while she's on the sideline so we can keep reps going. Yep. Um, and if we have to teach, let's do it efficiently. And the other thing is this. Um, I lost my train of thought on that. Oh, I think a big skill, no joke, for any coach out there is keep score when you're playing live but adjust the points for what you want to focus on. So two days ago in practice uh, on Friday, we played five on five to end the, to end practice. No time limit. First one to eight wins. Uh, The rule was this though. Uh, Every, every basket was two points, whether it was a, whether it was a layup, anywhere on the court, it was two points. Mm -hmm. Except, if the basket was made after zero dribbles or one dribble, so then it was worth four points. We played to eight. Oh, so I like that. Played to eight. And this came from Darren Hansen. And Darren Hansen, uh, UNO men, Nebraska-Omaha men's coach, they statted their whole last season. They said when the shooter had dribbled zero times or one time, they shot like 78%. When they dribbled, when the shooter had dribbled three, two times, it went down to like 50. Three times or more, it went down to like 23%. I think that's, that's an NBA stat, too. I think as we've shared that on the pod. Uh, I think, it, yeah, more than two dribbles at the NBA level. And granted, you're going against NBA defenders as well, but, you know, right. yeah, it's, it's 22% it was last year. It's, um, that's an insane stat. So we just, so we changed the rules of our practice games to get what we wanted. And it's amazing the way that changed the focus of the kids. You know, there's a drill we do and um, another game we do. And I would encourage any coach to play. We call it checklist. It's a five on five game, but you cannot win the game until you check off all the requirements in the game. So it might be, all right, your team can't win until you get uh, four points. Uh, you have to get one offensive rebound, a steal, have to have a three pointer, and you need to get take a charge or something like that. And like we'll put it on the we'll, on the whiteboard on the sideline. We'll like have a literal checklist, and you can do whatever, like whatever you think you guys need to, you know, your team needs to work on. Like, hey, um, two feet in the paint. We we can't no basket counts unless there's two feet in the paint before it or something like that. Mm-hmm. And just get winners and losers, get competitive with how you score your, your, your practices. And then I like, think the good part then is the score tells the story, not the coach. I, I've always liked using mathematics and keeping score to be the bad guy. You know, um, for example, we'll do drills and I'm like, all right, hey girls, if, if uh, three, three man weave down and back, we need to get 35 makes in two minutes. If we can't do that, we're not real good. And then if they can't do it, then I'm not the bad guy. Like they know the goal. Yeah. They miss the shots. They see the numbers. They're getting instant feedback on, on 
how good or bad they're doing. And I'm, I'm just the, I'm just the messenger. I'm like, well, you didn't get 35 points. Let's get on the line. Mm-hmm. So that's a big theory of mine. Gotcha. Um, that's really, I like that checklist idea too, you know, and, and putting that emphasis on, okay, here's the, yeah, like you said, here's the three or four things that you need to have, uh, before you, before you win the, before you win the scrimmage and, and things like that. That's, I, I really like that. So, and I would always encourage you, if whoever, whatever coach does that, make the final item on the checklist, make it a defensive stop. You have to win the game with a defensive stop. Um, because how many times in a season or a quarter or a game are like we that your team's like God we need to stop right now? Well, let's practice that. Yeah. And I kind of think that goes back to that John Cook idea of how do we prepare to be that team in crunch time? Well, let's rehearse it. Let's you know shoot. Um, this is kind of gets back to my other philosophy of of in times of panic a player or a team will revert back to its most basic level of training. You know, in times of panic, you're not going to pull magic out of your butt. You know, in times of panic, when, when, when bleep hits the fan, you're going to revert back to your training. Well, if your training's not real good, you're not going to be real good at panic time um, or crunch time. So let's practice to be really good in crunch time. Um, I'll give, I'll go one more for you. And I, I'm just rambling here. Nope. That's but, what you're on here for, David. Um, I'll go, I'll give more credit to Darren Hanson, Nebraska, Omaha men's basketball coach. I went and watched him practice, uh, over fall break last year. And he was great and kind and watched, let me watch and they, and let me watch practice. They played a game called 70. It's an end. It's an end of game situation drill. And I won't bore you with the details, but it makes you work on end of game. Like, hey, one minute left, we're down three. What do we do? Well, so I took that back to practices, and we started playing it three or four times a week. I mean, shoot, it takes a minute. Mm-hmm. Let's play. And uh, it takes a minute of clock time. Is what yeah. I mean. um, and I'm telling you, our two biggest wins last year, no joke, we were either tied or down in the last 12 seconds. Mm-hmm. And it's because, and our kids knew what to do because we trained and prepped for victory in those moments. And it's where preparation meets, um, I don't want to say luck, but like preparation meets, we had mentally tough kids who were thankfully very talented, but preparation meet talent, meet skill, meet opportunity. Um, and it worked. Like we were down Millard South, an amazing team, an amazing program. Shoot, we were down one or tied, and they missed the front end of a one and one with like nine seconds left, maybe ten seconds left. And we go race down because we've practiced it. The kids know. All right, need a bucket. Nine seconds. Go right to the rim, and we get a kick out for an elbow jumper to go up two and win the game at the buzzer. Yeah, um, Lincoln Pius were tied with seven seconds to go and in that second overtime and what does Nicole know to do she knows to sprint 94 feet with the ball at the rim because we practiced it um, and I think a big thing is is for coaches um, to understand when this when the stuff hits the fan 
your team will revert back to its most basic level of training. So are you preparing them for that? Do you start that special situation stuff, you know, day one, or is it something you gradually uh, involve into your into your practices? More gradually involved. Like we haven't done it yet this year. We're, we're four or five practices in, and we're starting with the big rocks right now. Sure. Um, although I would say end of game is a pretty big, medium sized rock. You know, like we're learning like what's our offensive sets. What's our like? We're learning the big, big, big rocks. Um, but end of game, end of clock is a pretty big situation. Like in all honesty, I'm telling you, like this is me just thinking off the top of my head here, Marty, but like if you, if, if I had 10 minutes end of practice and you said, Hey, do you want to practice ball to bounce plays or end of game situation? Like let's do end of game. Yeah. End of game. Big time. Yeah. I, I and I think you throw different scenarios and different mm-hmm. ideas, you know, um, Hey, and, 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 depending on how far along you are with your team, there's, I mean, you can go into infinite details. Hey, you know what? Uh, you know, let's say in your situation with your team last year, Hey, you know what? We're down to 15 seconds left. We're taking it out at 94 feet away, but you know what? Uh, Lexi fouled out. And so now, now we've got a, you know, Kaylee, you're in or whatever your scenario is. And, and I think, uh, I think one thing that coaches fall into is, you have to also think about how chance plays into your special situations as well. You know, uh, you know, Mary rolled her ankle and, and she's out or, uh, like you say, you know, point guard fouled out. We'd normally go to her, but she fouled out. We're 30 seconds left. We're down one. Now let's, let's execute this, you know, and, and, and things like that. And I think that's something, if you have the opportunity, you also have to account for not only the special special situation or in a game or in a quarter, but even that one step further, if you have the opportunity to do that. I do agree. And I had a great, my assistant, Doug Drummond, who was great at that last year being like, Hey, uh, you, you're out, you fouled out. Now this lineup has to go win the game. And I keep going, you know, um, shoot. That made me think of like a couple of years ago, think about the Omaha West side team that won state and um, two of their top three players um, or hurt. Yeah. McGinnis Taylor and was it Wedegren? Was that it? Yeah. Also? Yeah. And I mean, they had Quinn, which is still a heck of a good player. Yeah. But they lost their second best and third best player, and still went out and won a state championship. Yeah. I mean, that shows you that those kids were prepared and prepped and knew how to play in crunch time. And again, like that's. I, I, it's no joke. In in panic time, you will go. Your team will play back to its level of training, and that just shows that that program, that coach, Coach Clark, and those girls knew how to handle that. And it's not by accident. You're not you're not going to stumble upon success. You're yeah. not going to get. You're not going to luck yourself into a whole bunch of into a whole bunch of success. You're gonna you're gonna train for it. Yeah. And luck is a little bit of a part. So, yeah. um, you know, like last year, yeah, um, we, with with the veterans that we had, we were able to get down to details like, hey, if there's five seconds on the clock, you have four dribbles. Mm-hmm. If there's six, you have five dribbles. In a, you know, or four in a path. Like, we could get that detailed. Because and, and, you, and you had kids that understood that, too. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. 
uh, they're very cerebral. And what's crazy, and like I guarantee this next comment is going to make some coaches shake their heads like, yep, I get it. Is what's crazy is there are some kids that would be like 4.0 students in the classroom, but just not have the foggiest clue of, of where to be and when to be on the court. Absolutely. You know, IQ. And then there's going to be kids that will have a 1.1 GPA in the classroom, but be the smartest kids on both ends of the court with the highest basketball IQ. It's weird, man. Yep. I was, I was a kid. I, I had like a three, nine GPA in high school, but if you put me in a patterned offense, like the flex, you know, run from spot A to B and B to C and C to D, I was lost, lost. What? How? how? I know. I just i I was that dumb IQ wise on the court in the moment. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. I got you. I got yeah. you. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like so. Point being, uh, point being that like it's weird how different levels of IQ can affect uh, a game. Yeah. And like I'd be like, hey, wait, where do I go next? I go to what spot next? Yeah. And uh, as a coach last year and this year, I'm blessed with some extremely high IQ kids who just kind of can read the court, know when to be, where to be and when to be there. Yeah. And um, it's, it's, uh, it's a blessing. Yeah. I think, you know, you're talking about your really intelligent kids. You know, a lot of times they're so smart that they're overthinking it instead of just yeah. reacting. You know, and I never had that problem. I, I had a three point nine. I, I had a three point nine two day, but it was on a twelve yeah. point scale. Um, oh, so, yeah. So, can we call it paralysis by overanalysis? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, you you don't want them to think. You want them to play. And, right. and, uh, I, I think that's, um, you know, there's gotta be some thinking to it. And you were talking about that thing, uh, you know, the, uh, the mental part of moving up from freshman to JV, JV mm-hmm. to varsity. I also think that, you know, you're talking about basketball IQ, you know, you, you know, I ran into this a couple of times where I had kids that would say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm good and I'm athletic and I can do these things. Why am I not playing more? Why, why am I not moved up to this level? Well, you still have to think the game. You still have to understand, okay, in our defense, you have to shade somebody this direction. And if you don't stay disciplined with that, I can't play you. Or, you know, here, we've got four basic sets, and and you don't know any of them. And, you know, so therefore it's hard for me to put you out there because I I can't trust you in that regard, you know. I always say don't confuse a talented basketball player for a good basketball player. Yes. Yes. I think that's a great way to say it. I think that's a yeah. great way to say it. So, um, keep going. Oh, I was just going to say, uh, let's talk a little defense, you sure. know, and, and, and you talked about your, your list of, a uh, of 11 things that a defensive player needs to know and, and just kind of your overall defensive philosophy. Well, my defense philosophy is the opposite of my offensive philosophy on offense. We want to, uh, getting a five on four in defense, let's keep them in a five on five as long as we can. Mm-hmm. And um, so, I mean, that, that starts with stay in front of the basketball. I mean, the shoot, if, if you can't stay in front of the basketball, then we're playing five, then we're playing four versus five from the get go, and that's no fun. 
and then you're just surviving and hoping that they miss shots. Yeah. So I'm big on technique. Uh, I, you know, there's things that I think I'm good at, and I think I'm not good at, and you know, whatever. But like, I just can't, for whatever reason, when I watch people play, I just cannot stop looking at how low they are. Are their knees bent? Are their hips, are, you know, are their shoulders lower than the ball carrier's shoulders? Yeah. And I, I, it's just, I just, it's, I don't know, I, I, I'm addicted to it, man. Yep. I can watch, I can watch my team play and I can watch a closeout and watch someone square up a, a ball carrier and be like, well, we're beat. Yep. yep. And just got beat. Yep. You know, you, I can get low, get your butt low and compete. And, uh, I'm huge on that. So yeah, say five on five, and there's so many things to do with that. Um, that list of eleven things, I'm gonna, it's, it, I'm gonna forget some of them right now. But like number one is, well, one, you gotta know what defense we're in. Are we man to man? Are we zone? Are we box and one? If you don't know what defense we're in, we're, we're toast. Yep. Um, from there, and this is what kids don't understand. They're like, they just think basketball is get out in the driveway and shoot shots. No. You know, I mean, stat, think about this. In a game, you might have the ball in your hands for a grand total of, like, 48 seconds or a minute 20 if you're yep. really good. Yep. There's 31 other minutes doing other things. So what, what are, you, are you doing other things in practice? Are you, are you yeah. working on your screens? Are you working on getting set? Are you rolling? Yep. So, like, defense, what are those things you need to do? Yep. Where's the ball? Where's my man? Where am I on the court? What is the condition of the ball? Meaning, is the ball live? Is it dead? Is it being dribbled? Um, is the dribble contained? Is the dribble a blow by? Do I need to help and recover? And also, like while I'm doing all of this, uh, am I talking? Am I shouting? Am I screaming? So, like that's the four. That's four really basic things that you have to. And, at the most basic level from there, you got to know, all right, what's my scouting report. Mm-hmm. All right. Is, is, is the kid I'm guarding a shooter, a driver? Is it, are we playing them like Rondo? Are we playing them like Kobe? Are we playing them like a Corver? Um, are we, what, what's our overall game plan? Are we pinch dribble? Are we sag? Are we, um, are we running a three point line? Are we switching screens? What's the other scouting report? All right. Who's their best player and where are they at? And then, like, finally, what's time and situation? What what can we – do we need – you know, shoot, I'm always big. In the end of the fourth quarter, let's say you're up three possessions. My big thing is keep it at three possessions. So I'm always hands up. Get your hands up. The three – tell you what, the last three minutes of a close game is the three-pointers that kill you. Yeah. So keep your hands up and contest every shot. Yep. You know, guard with your belly, guard by using your belly button and keep your hands up. Like, that's so many things to think of. And kids, I don't know. And I, I'm not sure that the youngsters, especially like the freshmen, like understand how hard defense is. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think uh, I want to go back to one thing that you said there. Um, I think I can summarize that in, in one sentence that I just made up that would be part of my coaching philosophy if I get back into it. Um, how can you help us when you don't have the ball in your hands? 
Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. What are you doing to help us when you don't have the ball in your hands? And I'll tell you a story about a kid who um, just didn't get that a long time ago. It's a kid I'm coaching, and her freshman year, uh, I'll tell you, and, and she would even tell you that she was awful. Scored 33 points the entire freshman year. Would go entire varsity games without playing. Would play in junior varsity games and would be okay. Yeah. Um, but sometimes in JV games that freshman year, this kid was was just not locked in mentally and wasn't there and wasn't real good mm-hmm. um, and had a lot of doubts. And this freshman year, this kid, two different times, like we had meetings and she's like, why aren't I playing? Like I can play. I can score. I can score. And I'm like, well, I know you can score, but you just gave up two backdoor layups. You didn't know who you were guarding. Uh, you, you didn't talk in transition. Uh, you're not down on defense. Like, well, you don't have the ball. You're doing nothing for us. Yeah. And eventually the kid, um, we had this conversation and the kid says, wait, so you're telling me when I came in off the bench, if I start producing in all categories, I won't come out. That's a, that's a Nirvana moment there. It was an epiphany. And the yeah. girl goes, she goes, she goes like, wait, the better I do, the more I'll play. I'm like, yeah, in all <laughs> cases, you can't just be scoring. Because this kid, if, if she didn't score, um, if she didn't score, then the other items were just not going to happen. Yeah. Pass, cut, defend. This is all of this kid's freshman year. And then once she realized, oh, if I if I do everything else, I'll stay in longer. And the mental growth after that moment was insane. Mm-hmm. That kid's name was, can you guess? Uh, Lauren West. Lauren West. I was going to throw that name out there. Yeah. And, I mean, talk about a kid that... You know, we talk about mental toughness. Can it grow? Um, that's a kid that, holy cow, um, you know, mental toughness and mental, the mental part of the game, her growth was insane. And I think that it, it can happen, but it's more rare. Um, again, like I said, I, I think most Tigers don't change their stripes. But she's but the exception. She's the exception. Yeah. She's an exception to that rule. I think kids can improve a little bit, but the jump that she made was insane. Yeah. And I'm telling you, by the time, as a senior, dude, she was locked in. Yeah. Locked. The, from the moment we lost to Lincoln Southwest her junior year, she was locked the heck in. I mean, dude, she played scores 31 in the in the final didn't have a great game in the semis yeah she um, played really poorly actually yeah but that motivated her to be better in the final that's mental toughness again yeah. mental toughness when things don't go your way do you pout about it or do you go back and kick some butt and get stuff done she went out and she got stuff done she shoot two days um let's see what else we played Fremont at their place in overtime, scored 31 points there in overtime. Um, Fremont, like with Taylor McCabe and mm-hmm. that stud lineup they all have. Mm-hmm. Uh, so down the stretch, she definitely showed some toughness. And, um, you know, I don't know how we, oh, and she learned it 
through those four years of just getting better. And she learned away from the ball, what can I do to help? Yep. You know? Yep. Dave, I got one more thing to talk about here with you. Sure. You, uh, we've we've touched on offense. We've touched on defense. We've touched on special teams and practice prep. We've had pop culture references. Yeah. And and you've and you've been very passionate about all of those things. But I know that there is something even more passionate in your life than all of those things. Something you're more passionate about than hate mowing after a football game. Yeah. Oh no. I know where you're going with this. <laughs> the zipper merge. Oh man. Oh boy. How much time do you have? Oh my goodness. The, oh, man, the, I hadn't thought about this in a while. Yes. Um, I swear, dude, in another life, I'm not kidding you. In another life, I swear to you, I was a traffic engineer. I had to have been. <laughs> like, I'm not joking. So one of my one of my assistants, Margaret Menard, her husband is a traffic engineer for a private firm. Sure. And I, I'm embarrassed at how I handle myself around him. Is, like, I'm like, Hey, tell me about traffic, these, these traffic patterns. Like, did you notice, did you notice Marty in the city of Omaha when they replaced every left turn light with not a solid green, but now they put those new lights that they have a, 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 a flashing, flashing yellow. Yeah, yeah. That was like a trend in the last 18 months. I was blown away by it. Um, I, I'm a, I'm a nerd, dude. When, when you get around him, are you like a 16 year old in 1964 meeting John Lennon? Yeah, like yeah. we talk, we talk traffic circles versus four way stops. Oh, um, roundabouts. Ra- oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. We talk um, like speed bumps versus uh, no speed bumps in neighborhoods and the effect those have. Uh, the Miller North parking lot before our renovation was an absolute quagmire and how more accidents happened was just beyond me. Yeah. Um, I could talk traffic all day. I'm a, I'm a loser, dude. I'm a, this is weird. Yeah. I'm a, I'm, I do, we should do a traffic podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I swear to God, like, I don't know. Hey, Vanguard listeners shop at the Home Depot, Target, Starbucks, location over there on one thirty second and industrial road like one it's, it's that l street marketplace on yep. like 127 yep. yep there is when you turn in there there's a spot just off l street like 127 and it's busy as heck at all hours of the day and you have a thousand cars and oh on the on the north side of that yes yes i know exactly where you're talking about and you can't get anywhere you can't no you can't no like imagine so like you know dude imagine those cars that come out of target and need to turn left to go in southbound to go down that hill towards that light you sit there for hours and you have you have so many turners that thing needs a traffic circle immediately and i've said it so many times that my wife when we go to that spot we were there tonight we were at walmart after the movie she's like you know what this place needs is another traffic circle like she mocks me i've said it so much um but like, let's go with the zipper merge thing. People like so explain for those that don't know what the zipper merge is, which I can't imagine anybody wouldn't, David. But they, for those that don't have the passion for the zipper merge that you do, explain what it is and why you are so passionate about it. Well, for the communists out there that don't know what the zipper merge is, the zipper merge is a method that efficiently moves traffic through the most amount of available space 
by using all of a lane until that lane is closed. A better way to put it is, you know how like the left lane is closed and people will get over like a mile early? Yeah. Well, in heavy traffic, that sucks. So I just say the the rule to follow is the lane is open until it's not. So use it until it's not, because then you get more cars through. And like us Omaha drivers know this because like we're, we're Nebraskans and we're like Nebraska nice and polite. And we're like, well, that that lane up there, it's it's a half mile ahead. And it'd be rude. Like there's all these cars in the right hand lane. And yes, just, is it, but isn't that a courtesy? Like you're just saying my time is more valuable than yours. See. What happens is, so are you supporting people waiting in line in that right-hand lane? I, no, I, I understand what you're saying from a schematic point yes. of view. I, I totally understand it. So, At the same time, I think that's the, the I, I think uh, it, it's something that needs to be encouraged and implemented because mm -hmm. I, I know I feel that way. I'm like, well, dude, I'm not going to be that guy. Yes. Who who says? Well, I'm just going to drive up here, and you guys, you know, kiss my butt. I'm going to budge in front of you know. It's it's the bully who budges in front of you in line for tater tots, Napoleon. You know. But, but I'm going to argue the person who cuts in front is not cutting. They're the one doing it right. They're not the a hole. The a holes are the ones that are doing it wrong and making that mile long line. And think about this. So here's my also my my theory again. People think, well, it, us Nebraska nice, polite people think, well, it'd be rude to, to, to skip ahead of everybody. Well, in the zipper merge, if it goes right, at the merge point, every other car takes a turn. Absolutely. And what's more kind than taking turns? Taking turns is sharing and sharing the merge point. And... When do we learn that? In kindergarten. We learned And so I think my campaign would be zipper merge is caring because now more cars are getting through. I think it like when that, that one single lane backs up, dude, that's blocking traffic and fewer cars get through. And slowly, and right? All no, the I... other coaches slash amateur traffic engineers who are listening to this podcast totally agree with me. I will go, like, I will go, it's like my life will be a success if by, like, 2022, every merge point at construction in Omaha is zipper merge. I'll be like, yes. I can, I, I'll, like, I'll, like, lean back in my rocking chair and, like, wistfully a tear will roll down my cheek and I'll, like, dust my hands like this. I'll be like, well. My, my job is done. My job is done here. The Lord can take me at any moment. You, you I'm, would, you, I'm ready to go, Lord. And then I'll ascend into heaven. And uh, as the zipper, like, they'll make statues of me. There's <laughs> a lot of zipper merge. I'm just imagining you walking off into the sunset outside of Mayor Stothard's office, like, mm -hmm. Cl like Clint Eastwood in the Man yeah. With No Name movies, like uh, the Spaghetti Westerns. You know, and and you've got your you've got your uh, your uh, I forget what they call it the big uh, um, car. I, I, what's it called? Uh, the, the big cowboy hat. The well, the, the cowboy hat, and then the uh, Hispanic uh, 
uh, coat type of thing that they oh, have. Yeah, that, uh, the, uh, the, the kind of like rug looking thing. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. that's you walking out and you're just walking off into the sunset and and you're just you know, the music is playing and, and the movie fades to black. And that's you know, that's you. This my time on here and on Earth is limited. I don't own this place. I'm just renting my soul till someone else needs it. And I just hope to leave this place in a little bit better shape once I leave it. Well and and the and the zipper merge may be your greatest influence, David. You know what, you know what blows my mind, though? Like, I, I swear, like the whole waiting in line thing and blocking up a mile-long line, it goes back to the politeness. Mm-hmm. I swear, if you go to like, the East Coast, like Boston, like or New York City, like I swear like they want to be the one cutting you off. They're like, I'm getting in line. I'm oh, ready. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, oh, absolutely. So do you, do you support the zipper merge in all facets of your life? Like if, if you're at the buffet, do you support the zipper merge there? Do you know what drives me crazy is like at the gas station, if there are two registers open and there's like people are standing in line and there's only one line. Yeah. Like I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big, uh, mechanics kind of guy. Like, how do things operate? Like the nuts and bolts of like engineering type stuff, which is come, uh, which is weird. But, like, why are we in one line? There's two registers. Let's form two lines. Exactly. Like, this line could be this line could be half as long as it currently is if we all split up. Yeah. Same thing with the traffic patterns. Hey, if we all split up, this line would be half as long. You know. So. But wouldn't I'm, you? It would take the same amount of time to get out. Because it's the same amount of cars. I I disagree because more cars can get through because you take turns. If you're at the back of the line and then you move up to the front of the line in the other lane. I'm gonna I'm gonna hand this one over to the experts who have designed uh, zipper merges, and I, I'm not a zipper merge expert. I'm only an enthusiast. <laughs> it's I, a hobby. I don't. I don't deal in it. I just, um, I just, just promote it. You're just a proponent of it. Yeah, I'm a proponent. Like, so I can't, it's, it's kind of like magic. I can't tell you how it works. I just know that it does work. And we will leave it at that. And we will leave it <laughs> yeah. at that. So, you know, kind of like my season. Like, I don't, I don't know how I did it, but like, I don't know how we did it, but we did it. Yeah. You know, we won the game. So, yeah. And I think, but tell you what, follow me on if if you're listening to this. Um, anybody, get on me at Twitter at Deal Dave, and that's D I E H L D I E H L. Excuse me. Yeah, D I E H L. It's German. Uh, you can't spell deal without die. Yeah. Um, and D I E H L. Get on me. Hey, go through my Twitter feed if you're new to me, and. Uh, Two best highlights, all my zipper merge comments, and then a long, long, long time ago, when I had no kids, I would watch reruns of Cops episodes, and I would live tweet the Cops episodes. It's a hoot. (laughs) Why are you watching reruns of Cops episodes? (laughs) That's the best show ever. That show's insanely good. It was... Oh, I I don't disagree. I mean, it's it, except when my family showed up on it. But anyway, you know, oh, no. is that true? <laughs> no. no, no, no. It was my wife's family. Um, <laughs> I'm just I'm just joking. Nice, nice. <laughs> no, it's always the best. And then my favorite was when 
the police dog had come out and they're like some some dude is is like hiding in a backyard in some bushes yeah he's like, they'll never catch me now and then they bring the police dog out and i'm like oh hell no like oh no and i'm telling you if the police do- if they say we have the dog he will bite you like they're not lying no. if i ever if i ever run like, for some reason if i run from the cops and they're like the dog's coming I'm like i'm done like i will I will confess to whatever crime to not to keep that German Shepherd off my arm. I was the it's second like, gunman on the grassy knoll. Yeah, like, yep, uh, yep, I took out JFK. I was the second gunman. And, and I, I, well, that was on Friday. That was the anniversary. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I watched that movie with my daughter this summer. And, JFK? Huh? JFK? Yeah, yeah. See, I've never seen the Oliver Stone one. Oh, Dave, you got to watch it. And I mean, it's 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 a lot of crackpot stuff, but you know, it's just fascinating that there's enough there, you yeah. know. And and again, we've got obviously we got enough going on with conspiracy theories and stuff like that in our country. The last thing we need right now is another conspiracy theory. And not that this is not a politics podcast; it's a basketball podcast. Right. But but. Uh, it's history for right now, though. Yeah. yeah. Well, like, I've, I've seen stuff. I've been to speeches and seen speakers who are convinced the CIA did it cause, yeah. because of his uh, his policy towards Vietnam. I've, I, I've, there's a book. I haven't read it, but it's a book that has, is 200 pages, 300 pages, and it's all about why LBJ had – like, Lyndon B. Johnson. Yeah. Those things. And he had Kennedy killed. And uh, that was last Friday, so – I mean, I don't know. Your 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 basketball listeners probably now are like, "What the hell are these dudes talking about?" Like with history, but yeah. I could talk history all day. Oh, best one of my best lesson plans of the year. We just started doing that this last year, uh-huh. and um, we we will. The kids loved it. We went through the whole Kennedy, um, uh-huh. the the Kennedy administration. We talked about Bay of Pigs and Cuban Missile right. Crisis, and uh, you know sending a man to the moon and then we got you know we got into the assassination i said okay we're gonna you get a chance to make your case and i and i and i had i put them into six five or six groups uh and you got you know in two days your group is gonna have five you're gonna have five or seven minutes and you got to make a pitch uh this is why the russians were responsible for killing Kennedy. this is why the cia this is why the mafia this is why uh you know one group had lee harvey oswald you have to prove that lee harvey oswald did it you know, and yeah. he was, you know, and oh my gosh, they loved it. They That's loved awesome. it. Oh, and you have a, you can have a jury. You, you know what? Have six students be the jury. You're like, all right, who do you believe the most? Oh, that, yeah, that's yeah. a good idea. I was the jury last year, but I, maybe this year I'll have other students be the jury. So you could have other students, yeah. Like, you, what you could do? Have another class. Uh, just like borrow six students from a study hall that hour. Be like, oh, hey, that's a good idea. Because the study hall kids have no idea what's going on. Yeah. And like they'll truly be impartial jurors. See? Yeah. Man, and see where history teachers were coaches? We got, we got this on lockdown. We, we do have it. We do have it. And anybody that's still listening right now is probably like, I am never tuning in again. But, <laughs> you know, hey, what the heck? What the heck? You know, so. Well, but I think it's important people understand, like, we're not just coaches. Like, like for real, like, uh. It's one thing if like coaching would be like was your job twenty four seven, but like yeah. I got a, I got a great essays, I got to plan history lessons, yeah. I got to plan uh, tests, uh-huh. and like I think 
it's important to, to show people that like, all right, like we got a lot of irons in the fire. Yeah. Oh, I think that's, I, I think that's such a underrated aspect of being a high school teacher and a coach. And I think it's, uh, most of your, uh, parents and kids understand it, but you have a, a few that, that, sometimes have a hard time remembering oh yeah you know what i i have six history classes to teach every day and yeah. oh by the way i'd like to take my two daughters to frozen two on sunday and and, yeah. and hang out with them and no i i actually don't have the chance to think about our baseline out of bounds plays all day every day you know i've got these other things that i have to do and 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 i you know most people get it it's it's yeah. unfortunately the uh the <laughs> the not silent minority are the ones that yeah. make it difficult, you know? Right. And keep in mind too, let's not forget like junior college coaches. Let's not forget like lower level NAI, you know, NAI coaches. I know a lot of those like guys and gals uh, aren't just coaching teams, but they're probably teaching a class at the college or they're, you know, having some, uh, some other role. Fundraising. Or, Fundraising. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so there, there's a, their play too. And, you know, she I remember Connie Yori telling me uh, we visited a practice once. And she said when she was started at Creighton, you know, there's a civic auditorium. They're playing there, and not only was she the head coach, but she cleaned all the bathrooms. She cleaned the locker room. Like, she was the janitorial staff. Yeah, she was the recruiting staff. Yeah. She was the film coordinator. You know, and you're thinking, man, that's a grinded out job. Yeah, and uh, thankless in some aspects. And and I think you can correlate your teaching to your coaching that if you don't take care of your stuff in the classroom, then oh, yeah. you're, you're, you're not going to be a very good basketball coach either. Cause you, you have to learn how to teach, you know, it, on the court, you have to teach to your lowest common denominator. Mm -hmm. it, and in the classroom, you often have to organize your stuff and make sure that everybody understands before you move forward. And, well, and, and and you're organized and you change it up like in practice you just can't do the same drills every day just like you can't lecture every day you, you, right. you know and, and all those things so I, I the two correlate with one another you know and, and, and if anybody still is on the basketball and any coach is still listening and, and didn't get caught up on the history stuff i want to go back to correlating the classroom and the and the court a big epiphany for me in the last 12 to 18 to 24 months was like my mindset at practice and in games and especially like leading up to practices. And I'm telling you, it's, it's no different. The, I don't think, I don't think the court should be any different than the classroom. Absolutely. Because it, like there's an art and a science to teaching yep. and the science is the science. Like, all right, in, in the classroom, I'm going to tell the kids what do we need to learn? How are we going to learn it? And I'm going to assess you. And, um, like, in the classroom, if I had Jill or Joe, and Jill or Joe had trouble doing, I don't know, history problems or math problems, I would never, you know, in a classroom, I would never freak out and lose my crap on a kid. Like, I can't believe you couldn't decipher Federalist 51. Are you kidding me? Mm -hmm. We worked we worked on that vocab for six weeks, and you can't tell me what camel. Like, I would never freak out on a kid like that. You know, I think I would, in, in the classroom, I would tell him, I would, all right, here's our goal. Here's what we're going to, we're, we're going we're gonna to accomplish. Here's how I'm going to empower you to accomplish it. Mm -hmm. And you're going to get it done. 
And if you don't get it done, what did I do wrong to not do it, to not get, get you there? Like, um, I would, I would never like scream at a kid and freak out on a kid for not being able to achieve, like not learning something. And mm-hmm. so whenever I get frustrated on the court and I react in a way I don't like, and I let my emotions get control of me that in a bad way, I'm like, I would never do that in a, in a, in a, in a classroom. Mm-hmm. And I think of a game kind of like a test, like a unit test. Exactly. Like, yep. You know, I, um, I use that. I use that example all the time. Yeah. Like I got to get these kids prepped for the test. Yep. I'm the teacher. They're the students. All right. Hey, when we play Lincoln Southwest, here's how we pass the test. Yep. We're going to pull everything out. Here's how we pass the test. Yep. I'm here to teach you this. Yep. And um, I think when you, I think one of the biggest things in coaching that I hope to achieve, and this is for any coach out there still listening, is um, I hope to achieve a scenario or an environment where the entire group feels like we are advancing down a path together and not that I'm dragging them, that I'm the lead guy and I'm forcefully dragging them by a rope, um, but that or that I'm behind them. You know, like, all right, you guys are on your own. I'm behind you. I'm way behind you. You guys are on your own. But, like, we are advancing as a core group together, like, trusting each other. I trust you. You trust me. I have a lot of the answers. You have a lot of the answers. I, I'll use your strengths. You use my strengths. And we'll rely on each other and we'll do this thing together. And I really feel that a lot of times coaches and players – can be at odds and feel like they're on the, they're on different teams, you know, like they're on separate sides of the fence and that's always horrible and bad. So I try to remind my kids, listen, we're on the same team. We're all going this together and, and I'm going to rely on you. You rely on me and we'll get through this together together. I think last year's team and this year's team is great at that. I, really, I appreciate the kids for like making me feel that way. Yeah. I think that's, you know, I would use that example a lot. Um, all right. Hey, you know, and, and we're both, in a situation where we teach really smart kids, uh, with, with, with the classes that we're asked to teach. Um, but I, I, it would say, Hey, you know, practice is like a lesson. Like here's, here's the lecture on the French and Indian war, you Uh know, and blah, blah, blah. And we're going to go over these lessons for two, three, four days or whatever. And then, you know what, the day before the game, that's the review day. That's our scouting report day. And you're going to pay attention during the review. If, if we're getting ready for the, uh, American Revolution test, you're going to be really prepared for that review, aren't you? Yeah. Yep. Well, hey, this is re- this is just like the review day. And then, hey, tomorrow night, that's the test. When we're playing whoever, that's like we're taking the test. And I would use that example a lot to try and get my kids to realize that. Now, we're not just trying to get through practice. You know, we're here to learn something every day and to make ourselves better, you know? Yeah. So. Exactly. We're not, just, we're, not trying to, we're not just trying to get through. We're trying to accomplish something. We're trying Absolutely. To, we're trying to build and get better because we have an immediate test coming up. Like, can we pass this next challenge? And, um, yeah, big, big believer in that. And so I've always – I've, I've kind of used that to, like, check my emotions and ask myself, like, okay, if I'm screaming at the kid, if I'm screaming at the team, like, why? What am I accomplishing? And, like, there's times to do it. Mm-hmm. And, and – there's a wrong way and a right way, and in my opinion. And if I'm losing my cool, if I'm like freaking out, I, I better I better know darn well why and yeah. is it worth it, you yeah. know? 
because in the classroom, if I'm prepping kids for an exam, I'm not, I'm not going to freak out over kids. And so like, I don't know. I, I tend to think that my big theory is this in coaching a program. This kind of gets down to this. Challenge the kids, challenge them, challenge and challenge them, challenge them like they've never been challenged before, but support them. Yeah. If, if they feel challenged, but not empowered, like not equipped, well, they're going to tune you out. If they don't feel challenged, they're going to tune you out. If they don't feel equipped, they're going to tune you out. You got to challenge them and equip them. Be like, hey, I'm going to push you to this level, and I'm going to get you to that level. Yeah. And, you know, I'm going to push you to a really high level, and I'm going to get you there. Then you have trust. Then if you have challenging, if you, if you challenge them, you equip them, and they trust you, and you trust them, then pretty good things happen. I, I really I, I really thought I'd, I'd like to think, and, and I'm sure you probably have players that would say no you weren't, you know, yeah, but, I, but I'd, yeah. I'd really, I'd really like to think that the only time I really got upset with my teams was when they didn't play hard. Everything else I internalized and okay, if, if Pius beat us on this, uh, I didn't prepare them well enough. We didn't go through it enough times, blah, blah, blah. The kids are playing hard. They're, they're doing their thing. If they're playing hard and concentrating, then everything else is on me you know, is, is, is the way I took a lot of it. Um, but that's, 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 that's the way I, uh, you know, I would, I would hope that most of my players would say, you know, looking back on it. Yeah. You know, when we didn't play hard or when we weren't concentrating, that was the only times he really got upset with us, you know? Yeah. And I, I, I would like to think I'm by the way, but I know I'm not like, I, I'm like anybody else. Like I have a pretty short fuse and, like me, like that whole rule that I talked to you about, about like when the crap hits the fan, you know, you, anybody will revert back to their most basic level of training. Mm-hmm. That goes for me too. Yeah. Um, I need to train myself to like how, all right, when things don't go well, how am I going to handle it? All coaches got to do that. Yeah. Like, all right. So like who do you, when things don't go well, coach, Hey coach, when things don't go, well, who do you want to be? Yeah. All right. You gotta think about that because if you don't think about it, you don't know who you're gonna turn into, yeah. and that might not end well. Yeah. Um, so, like, that's why I started doing yoga. That's why I started doing like, a little more meditation and being like, "All right, well, when when things don't go well, who am I gonna turn into, and how do I want to get that message across?" And that was, and, and I tell the kids every game and every practice every every year, I'm like, "Listen, you'll never play a perfect game. I'll I'll never coach a perfect game. Yep. I coach some games better than other games." And the games where I let my emotions get the best of me are not my best games. Yep. And um, I'm telling every, every coach wants to listen to this, man. Like you start making, you start making emotional, you start letting emotion run your decision making. It's probably not going to work out for you. Like yeah. that, that rarely is ever the answer coaches. Yeah. Um, like no one's ever been like, Hey, you know what? I was really pissed off last week. I made excellent choices. <laughs> like when I when I was when I was through the roof pissed, I made amazing decisions. Oh yes, yeah. Oh no, so like, I agree. Yeah, I agree. so like I, I always wonder, like, okay, how can I keep my emotions in check? Yeah, no, and I just, I agree. I agree. So, so, David, this was awesome. I hope you enjoyed it. I did. Thanks, Marty. It's, it's been a really good time. I, I love talking basketball, talking shop. 
Uh, I, I really appreciate the opportunity. Uh, super pumped for the Mustang season in 2020, 2020, 2019, 2020, aren't we? Yeah. And, yeah, we uh, are. Thanks for having me on. Everybody who's listening, follow me at Deal Dave. Um, follow Miller North Basketball uh, on Twitter. Um, and uh, look forward to doing it again, Marty. Appreciate it. Oh, yeah. Dave, hang on the line here as I wrap things up. And, and uh, you know, we'll, we'll touch base here. And uh, But... Uh, you have actually set a record, longest podcast in the history of a pen and a napkin. Uh, that means I, that means I'm too long winded. Uh, well, we we covered a lot of things, including you. You also set a record for most pop culture references within one podcast as Perfect. well. So, but that's okay. So, uh, yes, David Deal from Millard North High School. Uh, we want to thank Cosac Chiropractic for sponsoring the pod. Uh, again, if you're in need of co- uh, chiropractic services, don't hesitate to call Dr. Kevin or Dr. Heidi at 402-964-0300. Uh, follow us on Twitter, a pen and a napkin. Uh, download us, rate it, review it, email us, a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. It's been a privilege and an honor to have David Deal from Millard North here on the podcast here this evening. Uh, coaches, I hope you enjoyed it. I know I enjoyed it. Uh, just be sure as you continue to go through your seasons to hone your craft one day.